Welcome to Ants, Humans, and Stars. I'm Dico, a digital nomad, and this is Caleb. An artist with a story to tell. And we recently got a new audience up in our up in our face. Um, <laughs> when I say Indian, I mean India Indian. Hindi, like all of that people are now starting to pay attention to us because I did some 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 direct ad advertising. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm being I'm being real. I advertise real honest, yeah. to to India. Um, I, I, I was curious, you know, to see if there would be any reception, any receptivity to a podcast in India, just just to see. And and there was, and pr- a lot of it. And so um, I thought, hey, why not? dive into india see what's up i learned a lot uh i'm gonna cover uh, about indian language um a little bit and do a murder that took place in the country of india um and uh caleb i know that you have something with some flavor clue i have no clue (laughs) i have no idea Um, so i Oh wait! Finish, finish here. No, 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 that's it. Just to say that you know, thank you so much for I don't know, giving us a like, following us, random people here in in the Americas, uh, and welcome to the podcast. So I was like looking up, like, because there is a lot of Indian influence in songs. Um, you know, some people might know like Beautiful Liar by Beyonce and Shakira. There's a lot of Indian flavor in that song. And there's tons of other big pop songs. So I was like looking for, I was really just looking for something that kind of summed it up and gave me like a rundown of all these songs. But I didn't really find that. But then I stumbled upon this article on uh, this guy, Ravi Shankar. Um, <laughs> I knew of him, but not really like about him uh, because I, I'm not really a huge fan of the Beatles, but I love George Harrison. He's my favorite Beatle. And and funny enough, all the Beatles songs that I love, he actually wrote, like, Here Comes the Sun. Oh. Um, something. I think he wrote something. Anyways, so I knew of this guy because I, I listened to a lot of George Harrison's solo records. Um, and so I knew he had a lot of Indian influence in several of them of his kind of like 60s and 70s solo records. So, um, yeah, I found this article and I was like, you know, what? I'm just going to do it on this guy because it's just it's interesting. And you already blew me away with uh, that. Here Comes the Sun has um, influences by the Indian Ravi Shankar and that 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 guitar influence or made by him or well, anyway, I don't know if you're going to get into well, it. Well, I don't know if Here Comes the Sun is influ- is like Indian influence. I'm saying George Harrison wrote that song. <laughs> right, right, right. But I've seen all with... over the place in, in when if, when I did a cross search on Google, it's there. So I'm like, oh, oh okay. so there well, is there, a link. Yeah. Whatever the link is, but there's a link. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a link with a lot of beat. Like even he did songs because he met this guy and knew about him even when he was in the Beatles. So there's Beatles songs that were um, influenced. So, um. If you're ready for me to go, ready, go ahead and steady the story. So go. I'm gonna first just I I am um, one just gonna read off of Wikipedia just you know like two paragraph background on him and then there's this article and then I'm gonna move over to the full article that I'm gonna read on him um, and it is uh, from this guy um, Phil Gallo um, he wrote it uh, for Billboard. Um, but I kind of like changed it a little bit because to make it me, to make it me. So I'm just not just reading off and to make it you, to make it you. I need to I really, mean, I like have to do of, that too, because the, like, if I just read an article, it's like, I'm saying stuff that I don't say, I don't, I don't talk like that. I gotta, I gotta reword this. So, so it's from me. Exactly. Not only that, some of his wording and the way he was describing himself, I was just like, I can tell this is written by a white man. <laughs> so I, I changed it up. But okay, so um, I'm going to start with just a little background on him. Uh, Ravi Shankar 
Um, he was born April 7, 1920. Um, his name is often preceded by the title Pandit, which I guess means master. Um, uh, was in, uh, he was an Indian uh, sitar virtuoso and a composer. Uh, the sitar is a musical instrument that is kind of like guitar, but much more extravagant. Um, you can look it up to see. If I saw, I saw the photos when I looked it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he was best, uh, he was the best known uh, proponent of the sitar in the second half of the 20th century and influenced many other musicians throughout the world. Uh, he was awarded India's highest civilian honor, the Bharat Ratna in 1999. Um, he was born to a Bengali Brahmin family um, in India. He spent his youth as a dancer touring India and Europe with the dance group of his brothers, Uday Shankar. Um, he gave up dancing in 1938 to study sitar playing. Um, and after finishing his studies in 1944, he worked as a composer, uh, creating the music for Apu Trilogy by... Sorry, y'all, I did not like look up these names i'm gonna butcher so many names so yeah, many was, I, I i apologize to every indians right now because i am not gonna i i started looking up some you know like i'm like all right let me and then i got to like the third one i'm like it's gonna be impossible for me to yeah. really say this correctly and i'm just gonna <laughs> as long as you try your best <laughs> and that's what i'm gonna do i'm gonna do my best and be trying to be respectful um uh, so he created music for the Apu Trilogy by Satyat Ray. Um, he was the music director of All India Radio, New Delhi, from 1949 to 1956. But yes, he started working with like George Harrison and really got into um, using um, Indian instruments in Western pop music in the 60s. Um, so, all right, I'm going to move over to this article now, um, again, it was by uh, Phil Gallo. It was done for Billboard in 2012. It was right after um, Ravi Shankar passed away. Um, and so, again, I've, I've kind of added my own, my own little uh, flair to it. So here we go. Ravi Shankar's arrival in Western music has widely been ascribed to his association with the Beatles, particularly George Harrison and his stunning performance at the 1967 Monterey International Pop Festival that also introduced West Coast audiences to Jimi Hendrix, Otis Redding, and The Who at the dawn of the, quote, Tommy era. The Tommy era. Like Tommy guns. To yeah, I guess. so. I don't know what that means. Tommy <laughs> the Tommy gun era. <laughs> yeah, the Tommy era. So Shankar died at a hospital near his home in San Diego on December 11th, a day before it was announced he'd receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at the Grammy Awards that following February. Um, John Coltrane sought out Shankar to free himself from Western chord structures and a search of spiritual quality that Indian classical music possesses. Um, he was so influenced by Shankar that he even named his son Ravi. Um, <laughs> Bud Shank, an alto saxophonist and flutist who balanced jazz and film work, was behind the first ever Shankar jazz band collaboration. Um, it was called Impro Improvisations on the Theme Music from Pather Panchali. Uh, the appeal, clearly, was the great improvisational tradition of Indian music, the shifting polyrhythms, and at the time, the speed and dexterity required to excel at any of the music's instruments. Um, so yeah, I hope you I got that, that, that was the appeal, just the, the way classical Indian music is done, the rhythms, um, and the speed and all that jazz. So in the 1950s, Shankar had assembled an orchestra that brought together Indian and Western instrumentation. His association with the classical violinist, uh, Yehudi, Yehudi, excuse me, uh, Menuhin, uh, with whom he would record albums in 1967, 68, and 76, um, began in the early part of the decade as Sh uh, Shankar built an audience through tours of Europe and the U.S., and he also became the first Indian musician to score a Western film. Uh, World Pacific Records, uh, which was a jazz label based in Los Angeles, recorded and released Shankar's albums, uh, starting with 
the album Three Ragas in 1956. Um, and it impressed a lot of the members of the jazz community and it e equally was a big influence on folk musicians who were looking for musical elements outside of the traditional folk sound. Um, using guitars to emulate the sitar had already cropped up in two British rock records, The Kinks See My Friends and The Yardbird's Heart Full of Soul. But the birds took it a step further, embracing Shankar's influence in song structure as well. David Crosby, already smitten by the sound of the sitar, attended a Shankar session at World Pacific Studios and in 1965 began composing his song Why, on which Roger McGinn incorporated raga-style playing on his guitar. So I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to... Um, raga, because I had to look that up, I was like, what does that mean? Raga or rock is a melodic framework for improvisation akin to a melodic mode in Indian classical music. So just so you guys have an idea of what that is. Um, so yeah, that song why by uh, David Crosby appeared on the B side of eight miles high, a track that turned Indian Raga style into psychedelic rock that was acceptable for AM radio play. Um, so before George Harrison, Crosby was the great proselytizer <laughs> for Shankar, telling everyone he could that Shankar and Coltrane were the two greatest musicians living. Um, and George Harrison became inspired to purchase a sitar and learn how to play at the feet of Shankar, uh, using the instrument first on the Beatles song, Norwegian wood. Um, and then three of the, and I need to go listen to these songs. I have not listened to. I know the George Harrison songs that use a sitar, and you can clearly hear the influence, but I don't really know these Beatles songs. You know what's interesting? When you said Rag, R A A G, and I, I just like looked it up in order, there are three different kinds, or at least, I don't know. This place says there's three different kinds. Uh, Rog Malkons, Rog Deepak, and Rog Shri. Um, that the, their differences is that like one is played during the morning, one's played in the evening, and one's played in the, during sunset. And I'm like, doesn't that song, and doesn't it have that guitar, Here Comes the Sun? What, is there any link now i'm seeing there's even more of a link because this is like types of in, an styles. instrument that has tones of the day um mm. I, i'm just I saying i'm like kinda, i'm like ooh, here comes the sun rock india hmm okay yeah stronger connection stronger connection yeah i need to check that out um uh, three of the Beatles' most celebrated experimental songs that include harrison on sitar are tomorrow never knows Within You, Without You, and The Inner Light. Um, and so while he, Shankar, was working with these big-time artists and his fame, um, you know, was rising, um, it really, like, took off because of these two festival performance performances of traditional ragas. Um, the Monterey International Pop Festival in June 1967, and then the concert for Bangladesh, which happened four years later. Um, so Shankar opened the final day of the three-day Monterey Festival with a four-hour performance. Um, there's a, a film of the festival, and it's edited so you can see, um, you know, parts of his performance. Um, the Angel Records released live album of his Monterey performance hit number 43 on the Billboard uh, 200 in 1968, which was his highest chart position in his career. So, um, and then by 1971, Shankar was based in the U.S. and focusing on music education, having written his memoirs and distancing himself from anything that suggested hippie. Um, Harrison organized the concert for Bangladesh to provide medical assistance and food for the Bengali people who were under attack from West Pakistan at the time. Um, Harrison and Shankar discussed the idea of a large-scale benefit concert, the first of its kind, while working on the film Raga. Harrison took the stage at Madison Square Garden before a note had been played, uh, advising the audience the music is, quote, a little bit more serious than our music, and I'd appreciate it, and I'd appreciate if you would settle down and get into the Indian music section. I don't really know what that means by Indian music section, but 
That's what the quote says. Okay. <laughs> um, so Shankar explained um, the rhythmic setup of the two sitar sarad duets he would play. He's quoted as saying, this is music that needs a little concentrated listening. Um, and he told that to the musicians at the time who were on the stage so they could, I guess, get in the space of where they needed to be. Um, and after applause broke out, um, Shankar famously joked, if you like the tuning so much, I hope you enjoy the playing more. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, well, the concert for Bangladesh would win album of the year at the Grammys, uh, which was the second win for Shankar, whose first collaboration with Manuin, West Meets East, had been named Best Chamber Music Performance in 1967. So after the uh, concert for Bangladesh. Um, Shankar went on to perform for world leaders, taking on causes and collaborating with the likes of Philip Glass. Sorry, I did not look up who Philip Glass is. Everybody knows who Philip Glass is. But I was like, I know. I was like, everybody knows who he is. It's just me. Hey, I, and I've definitely heard of him, but I can't think of it, but no, nah, I just looked it up. So, you know, some movies, some movie scores, you know, composers, you know, for movies like Candyman. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, or the Truman Show. Mm. So, as the colorful 60s gave way to the beige 70s, Shankar's music faded to more unfamiliar corners in pop culture, but continued to be elevated in the seri- serious performing arts world. Uh, a true master, much of his last 40 years were spent working within a tradition that was at the root of all his music. Ultimately, that dedication to tradition and an open arms approach to collaboration will define the man. Ravi Shankar. So, just a little on, um, yeah, a great artist who brought um, traditional Indian style music into Western pop culture. And to all the Beatles fans out there, like, yeah, I'm sure you've heard this in songs and and whatnot. So, give me a little background of where that came from. When I did like those two seconds of just diving into music and and in India, yeah, like how can I put this? Like it's a powerhouse of music production of all levels, like but singing, instruments, dancing, everything. They are about music. I mean, they're about music, one hundred percent. Like there are. I, I, it just seems like uh, I know that all we get is the infamous word Bollywood, but um, Bollywood does represent the full extent of what they are. I mean, if you if you haven't seen a Bollywood movie, I mean, it's just like any other movie. Like it's just a movie, right? But but there's so much it, energy and, and there, there is there's well it's indian yeah. flavored of course but yeah. there is just for just like like if it were a disney movie just cut to m- a, a music video like it's just it's it's the characters in the movie all of a sudden they're doing a music video that like a musical um but actually what when i say like a musical it's actually then they've been doing this for quite a while so if anything it's doing it as they would be doing it for a long time before yeah, yeah. Hollywood, you know, it was, it, they've, I this mean, is, Bali, what they say is the movie capital of the world because um, so. the production of video, uh, to incorporate dance is so important. I think that's what I see is that it, it's not just the music. The music is great and everything, but we want to see you dance. So the music yeah. video is just as important. And, um, that, Sometimes it's an artist who is doing both music and dance, a Madonna, let's say. And sometimes, and a lot of times, it's there's a there's a a woman or a man who who sings really well, and they do a lot of these music videos behind the scenes, like they're singing, and then they get somebody else to get up there and to do the dances and everything, and then they have high production uh, when it, when I see it in Bollywood, which is cool. I mean, yeah. I love this movie. It's something like Robo or Robot. Uh, first, 
the lead actor who this is an action movie and at the end like he is cgi'd onto a let's go with a mighty Morphin power rangers big robot you know like when they all combine and they become this huge robot well like it's like this actor who's about 65 but they do really good makeup on him in the movie right so he looks like 59 and so he's He's this dude. Is this like action superstar? <laughs> and and they CGI him as like this super robot. Like it's him. There's little bodies of him because he's a, he's a robot, and they get like thousands of hims uh, get uh, cloned, and they make up a, a super robot that starts attacking the town and everything. This is like some random dude who, to me, uh, as a viewer, I'm just I've never seen this dude in my life. But it would be like, imagine a 65-year-old actor of our world, just imagine one, doing a heavy action movie where they are being CGI'd as a robot, cut to that actor doing Mm -hmm. the dance moves. So that actor Mm -hmm. may seem out of place to me because he's not this muscle-bound, like, big-ass action superstar, right? Oh, but he's really good at Bollywood. Like he's the dancer. He 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 does he does all those moves. So it was more important to them to get that sort of flair and element into the movie than than for any sort of like oh we need you know so and so because they look the part. Like no 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 man that guy can dance. <laughs> hey, well there you go. <laughs> Gotta go with what's um, good. I suggest you watch it. I don't know. I'm gonna check it out. It was kind of. It, it was kind of. It was very interesting. I I I was tuned into the whole movie because it's not a usual movie. Um, it's like made in 2010. Pretty good graphics too. Mm. Yeah, I had to check it out. Um, check, check, check it out. So continue with India. Um, do you know how many languages are spoken in India? Is it double digits or single digits? 22 official languages and thousands of not official. And and official is basically uh, if it's if it's 10,000 people speaking it or more. Mm-hmm. So okay. it, there are so many languages spoken in India, but, you know, there's pockets. So these 22 are the most used but can you imagine and these are like it's not how it is in the u.s where they're completely other languages Th- these are languages of the region and different dialects of the same language um yeah no i get that i totally get that so um and so it's impossible to speak about <laughs> like if you look up the indian language really you're 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 defaulting to hindi sometimes so anyways um if two unknown indians met randomly on the street there would be only a 36 percent chance that they would understand each other if they only spoke their specific you know of their language because this indians will speak their language another language english you know so on and so forth it's you know they they're very um, multilingual, um, and so let's get the numbers. India is the seventh largest country in the world, one point three billion people speaking all sorts of languages, and the distance between northern India and southern India is about the distance between Canada and Mexico. So mm. northern India versus southern India is just as different. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, could say yeah, in yeah. languages or so anyway um a census in 2011 showed that india has about 19,569 languages and dialects of which 1,369 are considered dialects and 121 are recognized as languages what i said before the acceptance criteria is that the language has 10,000 or more speakers the languages spoken in India belong mainly to two big families of uh, linguistic families, Indo-European and Dravidian. Uh, others come mainly from Austro-Asian, Tibetan, Burman, 
that sort of thing. Uh, the Indian Constitution recognizes, again, the 22 official languages being, and here's when I start butchering things left and right. Are you ready? Okay, Bengali, Hindi, Matli, Nepalese, Sanskrit, Tamil, Urdu, Assamese, Dogri, Kannada, Guharata, Bodu, Manupur, also known as Maitai, Oriya, Marathi, Santali, Telugi, Punjabi, Sindhi, Malahalam, Konkani, and Kashrimi. You can write all of the corrections to our Facebook or our Twitter as Human Stars. Um, you can email me at AntsHumanStars at gmail.com. All those corrections, please send them to me. Um, <laughs> Tamil and Sanskrit are considered by academics as like uh, lingua franca, which are like the classical languages of, of India, um, like Latin, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and then the states of India uh, organized are organized based on the common language spoken in each region. Hindi is the official language of the central government in India, along with English. Individual state legislators can adopt any regional language as the official language of their state. <laughs> I feel like that's mm. the issue with us here in the United States. Like We need to have these differences. Like You speak your own language. You're not speaking mm. my language. You don't understand me. <laughs> um, so many children who grow up in India... They definitely grow up in a bilingual environment because their parents most likely speak different languages themselves, like mom versus dad. And then they're surrounded by community with other languages. And so that actually leads to literacy rate in India being 71%. Uh, most private schools strive to motivate children to learn several languages. So it's like, not learn not knowing how to read is ridiculous like you can't even you can't even in india you have mm -hmm. to know you have to know how to be yeah. able to communicate um and public schools generally attended by working class children teach um you know their language and also english classes throughout the years have been more and more incorporated just at least to have that bilingual aspect their language english um the hindi belt or Desh Hindi refers to areas of India, mostly in the north, where Hindi is the official language. There's a list here. I'm going to save you. I've already said a lot of the, <laughs> the names already. Um, Persian-speaking Turks, who invaded the plains of Ganji and Punjab in the 11th century, named the language spoken here Hindi, the Persian word for, quote, the language of the land of the Indus River. So, uh, Hindi is the fourth most natively spoken language in the world. Almost 425 million people speak Hindi as their first language. And although 12% of Hindi natives are multilingual, 120 million people in India speak it as a second language. So, that's kind of interesting that they them. It's kind of like those... Uh, uh, that French part of Canada, like they all speak the yeah, language yeah, yeah. and then like, but they don't speak anything else because they speak french mm -hmm. same thing like yeah. they, i speak hindi i don't need to speak anything else <laughs> um Interesting. from the linguistic point of view hindi belongs to the huge family of indo-european languages particularly to indo-aryan um it stems from sans sanskrit because you know it's written left to right like english and most words are pronounced as they're written unlike english <laughs> <laughs> Has anybody heard of spaghetti and seen the way it's spelled? I I have to like apologize every time somebody who doesn't have English as their native language and they ask me like, "Hey, how is this said? How is this written?" I'm like, "It's like this." I'm sorry. Right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that doesn't make sense, but it's like that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, sometimes after C. Okay. Although, <laughs> although for many English is still a symbol of the British Raj, others enjoy it. Uh, it's continued use as the official language in India, mainly because it's unofficially recognized as a language of business. So many tourists say that the better your English is, the more money you'll have in the eyes of Indian merchants. So you better dumb down your English when you go down to barter and get all those cheap things that you think of when you, as mm. a tourist, would go visit India and buy. I, 
I never never think about that. Like going to a country and buying stuff. It's just not in yeah, that's not in my flavor. Mm-hmm. I don't I would go to India to obviously see yeah. to explore, see. not to buy. Yeah. Um anyway. That's it. English doesn't have a strong presence in the general social life, uh, except in the upper classes, obviously, business, you know, upper class, people with money. For many people in India, English is no longer a foreign language, though, because after 100 years of colonization, Indians have made it their own. So, for cultural and linguistic reasons, Indian English is a little different from standard English, and it's best known as Hinglish. I'm taking this from Babbel.com, so okay. <laughs> uh, this is what they're saying. Um, one of the most impressive engines of English in India is Bollywood, the mega movie industry, where many movies mix some English into their titles, into the script, into the. Uh, uh, so that movie I saw, I remember very uh, vividly. Like it, it's it's in you know Hindi or actually it was in Talmi. I forget. Anyway. So I'm reading subtitles, but every so often the subtitles wouldn't be there. And I'm like, what? Oh, because they suddenly spoke in English, you know, it just, but it would throw me, you know, it it was like, wait, now I'm not, I'm having to listen. Okay. Anyway, um, English in India is driven by business and Bollywood. Um, Makes sense. This was all, to be honest, I didn't realize, I thought it was like two languages, maybe three. To know that there's thousands of languages and it's just like, oh, okay. And you know English. Okay. As per usual, I'm always impressed when I think about anybody outside the United States. Um, (laughs) So, for those of you who've been hungry for a murder, it's back, y'all. I'm about to tell you about an Indian murder. Infamous. Unsolved. As far as legally unsolved, but it's, we all know what happened. Okay. Uh, this is inside the still unsolved, again, legally, murder of 13-year-old Arushi Talwar. Uh, this I uh, pulled from an article from allthatsinteresting.com, article written by Marco Margaritov. Hmm. It was a good one, y'all. This is like a. I'm like I was like, ooh. <laughs> okay, tell me more. When 13 year old Arushi Tawar was found dead with her throat slit in the bedroom in Anoidia, India, on May 16, 2008, authorities immediately turned to her parents for some answers. And because suicide by throat cutting is very rare, police were certain they were dealing with homicide. But the ensuing investigation turned out to be anything but simple. In fact, it took so many sharp turns over such a long period of time that it became a sensational whodunit of nearly unparalleled proportions. Even though I know, you can see, I'm going to get into the evidence. I think it's clearly, anyway. At first, Mm -hmm. the primary suspect was 45-year-old Hemraj Banjade, or Bahad. I'm going to go with Banjade. I like that. I'm sorry to everybody who is uh, <laughs> Indian and listening to this. Again, you can email us at antshumanstars <laughs> at gmail.com with any corrections All or corrections. tweet us at antshumanstars. Um, Hamraj Banjade, he was a hired help at the Talwar home until he too was found dead just a day after Arushi. His body was found partially decomposed on the terrace of the Talwar home. So they got two murders in their hands. The authorities begin the investigation. And it turned out to be, as a great Latrice Royale would put it, some romper room fuckery. This began by not securing the crime scene after Arushi's death and for, fo- for allowing the media and other public to venture into the home only hours after the murder. So it all went wrong That's from crazy, the beginning. Yeah. You don't let... As a true crime aficionado, as soon as I see a dead body, I got to step away from it. I got to call the police because just one iota of my cells could go on there and all of a sudden I'm being taken off to jail. So I don't even want to even be near a dead body. Like you, you could find stuff easily nowadays. 
So anyways, people were like in the house, having tea, talking about dead bodies on the floor. Nevertheless, the investigation quickly found its target. Those with the most access and potential motive for the two killings, the parents themselves. Dun, dun, dun. Okay. Uh, Yushi, born May 24th, 1994, to two dentists. Uh, she was a student. She lived with her parents, of course. At 6.01 a.m. on the morning of May 16th, the doorbell rang. Housemaid Barti uh, was usually let in by Banjade, but he was strangely missing in action. Where could it be? Dead upstairs. She rang the bell three more times and was finally greeted by Napur, the mom. Uh, she was on the balcony. This was extremely unusual because, as Arushi's parents were known to sleep in because they worked the evening shifts, Banjade was the one who took care of letting the servants in. It was just unusual for mom to be there. The gate at the entrance was locked from the outside, so Napur had to throw Bharti a set of keys. When the maid walked into the home, she noticed Rajesh was awake too, the dad. Both parents were in the daughter's room crying. Look at what Banjade has done, they said. It was then that Barty saw Arusha's motionless in a puddle of her own blood, her throat slit by a knife. She rushed to get the neighbors, the Barty, the maid, she rushed to get the neighbors, medical assistance. Of course, that was far too late. Um, police arrived at 7.15 a.m., to a crowd of 15 people who were already in the room and all over the Talwar residence, uh, six people were actually in the bedroom where the body was. Um, so in terms of crime scene tampering, this is like tantamount to like what you shouldn't be doing and having dozens of people taint integrity and everything and DNA evidence. Mm-hmm. So when they did do their finger lifting and evidence gathering, they found 28 fingerprint samples uh, that were smudged and useless um, because of how many people there were there. Okay, so oddly enough... The girl was 13, right? She was 13, yeah. Okay. In her bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's... It it gets even weirder. Um, (laughs) Oddly enough, Rajesh, the father, Rahesh, um, told police not to open the locked terrace door and offered them 25,000 rupees, $365, to track Banjay down, find them, and destroy them. Their narrative was that the live-in servant had done it. Gotta find him. He's the one. The Central Bureau of Investigation, the CBI of India, later mentioned how actively the Talwars pushed that story. The Talwars, furthermore, claimed not to have heard a single sound while the murders took place, they said that their closed door and air conditioning unit blocked the sounds of bludgeoning and laceration. The night Arushi was murdered, her friend Anmol called the Talawar's landline. It was around midnight. Anmol couldn't get through to uh, Arushi uh, on her cell phone, so that's why, you know, called the landline. Arushi typically stayed up past midnight talking to her friends uh otherwise using her phone but on may 15th her phone was inactive after 9 10 p.m animal's call to the house was left unanswered so he sent her a text message that uh, arrived at 12 30 a.m the message was never received by her phone as it had already been turned off it would later be found the phone would later be found in a dirt track nearby by one of the maids the memory had been wiped clean. Mm. So the CBI uh, found that the Talwars got home from work at 9.30 p.m. And they had dinner. And they gave her a new digital camera. And as an early birthday present. Okay. After taking a few photos together, the family retired at 11 p.m. At which time they said that they saw their daughter reading a book. The last photo of Arushi had been snapped at 10 p.m. with that new camera. It's also important to note that Arushi's bedroom door was routinely locked at bedtime. That is something that's weird to me, but 
probably like part outside or she locked it like the parents would lock her in and i just assume that this is that sort of culture dynamic where there's extreme protectiveness over your children especially if they're a female because there's such utmost importance of her virginity and that's going to come into play later so um the keys were usually left on the mom's night table, but the mother told police that she couldn't remember whether she locked her daughter's door that night or not. Rahesh, the dad, meanwhile, was on the internet to catch up on emails, um, maybe his fluctuating stock portfolio, he said. And he sent his last email at 11.57 p.m. after receiving a call on the landline. He then apparently just went to bed after that. Both Arushi and Banjade were believed to have been killed between midnight and 1 a.m. So there's a connection there. 11.57 p.m. gets an email, gets a call. Then his daughter is dead within the hour. It was discovered that Arushi's internet router was turned off at 3.43 a.m., which suggested whoever had walked into her bedroom to turn it off either didn't notice the blood-soaked bed or was responsible for her death. Um, the next day, keys to the apartment and the terrace were reportedly found by the mom on Banjade's bed. The keys to Arusha's bedroom were in the living room. There were no other set of house keys, even though the property's gate was locked from the outside. Um, so clearly somebody else had a spare set, but who? Mm-hmm. When doctors came to visit the Talwa residence to check up on the parents, they noticed bloodstains on the handle of the terrace door, which was still locked. They also noticed smudged, bloody footmarks on the floor and bloodstains on the staircase. Rahesh, the dad, was asked for the terrace keys, but he didn't produce them and instead insisted. Instead, he went inside after he noticed the blood on the door handle and. He remained inside for the entire day, kind of avoiding police and not letting them access the terrace. Banjade's body was discovered the following day on May 17th. The police broke the terrace lock open as the keys were missing and found Banjade's decomposing body. There was evidence that both dead bodies had been moved around. Um, the new narrative was that Banjade had been dragged to the terrace in a bedsheet, the terrace door had been locked, and the killers re-entered the house and drank whiskey. Hmm. The liquor cabinet was fairly well hidden, so it's like whoever came in there knew of it. It was behind a wooden panel. A bottle of whiskey had been found on the kitchen table, uh, had bloodstains on it, um, with both victims' blood on it. The police, however, had failed to collect proper samples from it. The crime scene uh, also appeared to be dressed up and scrubbed of any evidence that would point towards the Talwars. The Talwars told their servants to clean up the floor and walls of her of their room uh, with soap and water. And of Arashi's room with soap and water. Her bloody mattress was tossed out onto the terrace of a neighbor. Messy. This is just messy, right? Uh, Meanwhile, phone records show that between 3 p.m. and 6 p.m. on May 16th, the day day that uh, she gets murdered, Rahesh's older brother, Dinesh, uh, a family friend, uh, Sushil Chowdhury, and uh, the retired deputy superintendent, K.K. Gautam, and somebody with an unidentified number all called and began to communicate with each other uh, while an autopsy report was being written. The day after the murder, in the afternoon, they were calling. Dad was calling a bunch of people and obviously setting some stuff up. Dinesh called Chowdhury, who would call Gautin. Gautin will call the identified number. Then this process will repeat in reverse order six times. The CBI later said that the communications may have been attempts by the family to use their connection to Gautam, who was a superintendent of police, to erase references to rape from the autopsy report. The theory goes that Rahesh may have been may have caught his daughter having sex, perhaps consensual, perhaps not, with Banjade, and then killed them both. 
so he wanted to, any references of the intercourse to be left out of that report. It's probably what he was doing. So at this point, um, with Banjay discovered dead, the Tal Wars, obviously, prime suspects. They knew where the liquor cabinet was. They had keys to the house, and they were in the house when the murders took place. So, cut and dry for me. <laughs> so, they arrested them on May 23rd. One expert who first inspected the crime scene said that the killings were done by somebody very close to Arushi. There was evidence that she had had sex and that her vagina had been penetrated and subsequently cleaned by somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was no semen found. Uh, as the uh, phone calls uh, may have suggested, the police sus- uh, suspected Rahesh Talwar found his living servant and young daughter engaged in sexual activity, murdered his daughter as an honor killing, and banjade for raping her. Another theory was that Rahesh himself had been engaged in extramarital relations and was confronted by his daughter, maybe blackmailed by Banjade as well. These allegations weren't taken lightly by the Talwar family. They claimed the police were trying to frame them as killers to cover up how badly they'd handled the investigation instead of crying endlessly for their murdered daughter, mm-hmm. right? Anyway, the CBI actually exonerated the two parents at first. Their new suspects became a Tower's assistant, Krishna Thadari, and two servants, Rajkumar and Vijay Mandal. Later, it became clear that, you know, whoever killed Arushi and Bajade had access to the home as there were no signs of forced entry. The gate was locked. Mm-hmm. And their interrogation of these three new suspects led them to believe that Arushi was killed after a failed sexual assault because of the unethical interrogations conducted to arrive at that point. However, uh, not only were these three released, the evidence really couldn't be used. So they're just doing a terrible investigation here. Like they're finding evidence that's like, but they're collecting it terribly. They're getting it in ways that can't be used in court because it's it's unethical or wrong, done incorrectly and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, there was something that confused everyone, though. It's like, why would the killer leave Banjade rotting in the terrace? Obviously, you know, the CBI said, look, it was hidden there, right? In order to dispose of it after, you know, after, right? Um Somebody killed my daughter. Police come in, investigate, go off, and obviously, you know, get rid of the body of uh, Banjade after, because the two of them dead seemed complicated. Um, so much of the media attention and persons uh, waiting through the home, however, they just didn't see the option of like Banjade being the killer, and because the crime scene had been so tampered with, CBI began to suspect that the Arushi's parents were the ones that definitely had done it all. In 2010, uh, the CBI had to hand its investigation over to another team. They recommended closing the case. Nonetheless, it did name Rahesh as the only credible suspect, even while refusing to charge him. They just said the actual real proof, again, proof that they could use in court, was non-existent. Yeah. Um. The Bureau reopened the investigation in 2011, a year later. They again said Rahesh and Nupar as the primary suspects. They, the Talwars petitioned um, uh, to the High Court in Allahabad and the Supreme Court, but they failed. Um, and they were definitely now going to trial, finally, for their daughter's death. Um, the trial began on May 11, 2013. And concluded with a guilty verdict for both defendants on November 25th, 2013. The prosecution had argued, quote, On the night of the murders, Rahesh heard a noise and assumed it had come from Banjade's room. He didn't find anyone there and picked up a golf club from Banjade's room before entering Arushi's. There, 
he saw the pair engaged in sexual activity. Rahesh clubbed the 45-year-old servant over the head, and when he tried to hit him again, Banjade moved, leading the father to accidentally strike his own daughter instead. By the time Napur was awakened by the noise and rushed into the room, both Banjade and Arushi were near death. The injured Banjade had fallen from the bed. Both checked Arushi's pulse and found her near dead, which scared them, and they decided to kill Banjade so no one would discover the incident. The married couple realized they'd have to fabricate a scenario in order to get away with the double murder of their daughter Arushi's Talwar and their servant. They wrapped Banjade's Banjay's body up and took him to the terrace to get rid of his corpse at another time. They slit his throat and decided to do the same thing to their daughter. They also cleaned her vagina. Rahesh and Napur then cleaned the crime scenes, the crime scene, blood stains on the floor, any stained clothing, whatever they could see that was tainted by the violent act, it was mopped up and disposed of. The couple then left the house locked the gates from the outside, and entered the residence from Banjade's room in order to fool authorities. That's when the father sat down and drank some whiskey. End of that quote is from the prosecution. November 2013, after years of trials and legal proceedings, Rahesh and Nupartawar were sentenced to life in prison. The decision was heavily critiqued, for being founded on circumstantial and unconvincing evidence, says says people. <laughs> and again, they appeal to the Alhabad High Court. According to India Today, the Alhabad High Court overturned CBI's court judgment in 2017 due to a lack of direct evidence. There were no eyewitnesses. There was no real evidence. There wasn't a strong motive in their opinion. The judges also noted that the Supreme Court has previously established that if there's no direct evidence, reasonable doubt should override suspicion. It took four years, but the parents finally did manage to get acquitted on October 12, 2017, and have remained free ever since. The case remains legally unsolved, and the family points fingers at the CBI, the local police, the media for ruining an investigation that should have resulted in their daughter's murder being identified. The CBI was not content with this decision, obviously. Former CBI director A.P. Singh, particularly, he felt that his bureau had been dealing with a highly manipulated environment to begin with. And there were already scarce opportunities for evidence when they got there. It's not the first time that I've heard the idea of parents killing their daughter Mm -hmm. because of, of this honor killing scenario where if she has been defiled, even if it's rape or even if it's, you know, she wants it and, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't matter i'm not laughing at that and if this is on the podcast i'm laughing because uh the cone dog just came the up and dog, like exactly the cone dog oh my god anyway um right that uh that in certain cultures um definitely india uh has these types of cultures throughout um it, you know not only but it has um cultures that support um the idea that once your daughter is no longer a virgin, then then she's no longer worth anything, and the honor of the family is dead, and then she should be killed because that's the right way to go. And you know, obviously, you could think of whatever you want to think, but because that is because that kind of fits here, and yeah, because yeah. the body was upstairs, and because of how they cleaned up everything, and how they found the blood on the whiskey, and all the fact these that he things. had the terrace locked, and mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, I don't, I can't find the key." And yes, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if they hadn't been in the house, if they had been at work or had been sleeping, and then they and weren't that the ones. Been my, yeah, that would have been my first thought. If I found my daughter dead, would be like, "Well, where's the servant? Like the, the living servant, like." Um. Yeah, and to not 
Yeah. Along with, like you said, um, being, uh, it being much more like heartbroken over my 13 year old daughter's dead. I see that their logic was get the police here, find the, find the daughter dead. Mm-hmm. Tell them the narrative of it was probably Ben Jade. Police go out to find him. They take the body and they, and they get, get rid of it. Like they, in a, in, as they think that it, the police will never find them. And they'll just mm-hmm. be a dog ch- chasing its tail forever, finding somebody that they'll never find because they themselves have taken away, t- taken care of that body. And so that yeah. kind of nips in the bud. You know, it'll never trace back to them because they're the parents. Like, why would they kill their daughter? But. Yeah they weren't able to complete that plan for whatever reason. Um, obviously because police the next day just came in and were like, yeah, we're going to need to see that terrorist. I mean, I know you don't have the keys. I know you can't find the keys, but this is a crime scene and we haven't looked at this part of the yeah, crime scene. Yeah. So we're going to have to look and psh, oh, lo and behold, there's a dead body in here. Oh, and it's the guy you told us to look for. Yeah. Yeah. It just, it doesn't look good if if you want to present sort of evidence, you know, against mm-hmm. it. I, I think you know you you would have. I mean, if you if you had been innocent and you could have presented sort of evidence, but this is just so hard. I know it's circumstantial, but it is really hard in not in your favor, um, and the timing of it all fits. You know, yeah, it's it's yeah. it's very like. Mm-hmm the coroner saying you know this is when the bodies are dead this is you know when she stopped her communication on the phone this is when you yeah. stop your communication on your computer this is when the internet was cut off all of it fits it's not like yeah. one thing doesn't fit no all of it fits to you and again it's just a shit that the whole freaking neighborhood was in there when the body was in there. And of course, you know, that's what they wanted. They wanted that. I'm going to say that could have been like a whole setup of, yeah, like have all these people here and yeah, exactly. It muddles everything or muddies everything. Literally tracking like, and that's what I'm saying. Like a crime scene is like, is is what's the word sacred you have to like literally not even you just step away and you're telling you're like on the phone you're like i i came in i i I saw the body and i'm stepping away from it now i am now stepping away to the hallway and like you know i am you're telling the operator so that there is some sort of evidence that this is what happened so that when they find your footprint in the apartment and your cells that are falling onto the carpet that you have some sort of like you know yeah i'm the one i called the police this is what happened i you have my recording of what i did in the crime scene so that you could corroborate yes look at my footprints they're exactly what i just said to the operator Mm because that's how crazy careful you need to be with a crime scene versus um you need some tea you need some extra milk you want some sugar yeah yeah no let me go to the kitchen and try and just track everything and look hey Look at it. Look at her in the room. Come, come. <laughs> That's also a weird thing because, and you know, yeah, maybe a lot of things, these things are culture, but um, yeah, I would want all these people. If I found anything, if I found a friend dead, I wouldn't then want all these people around and looking and viewing and like, yeah, and not like I that too. You yeah, know, like yeah, like brutal death. Just, exactly, Ugh. that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. This isn't like oh, they were you know, uh, uh, you know, died in their sleep or something. Yeah, it's brutal death. And so yeah, I wouldn't want all these people around. Um, so it's weird. Again, so whatever he, the older man, whatever it was, probably him inside of her, and he was definitely raping her because. She was so underage. And, but what she got, I feel like, yeah, just be, yeah, it was, like that's just not like, so yeah. either way, I'm Banjade, not a good sucks, guy. Yeah. He's not a good guy. So yeah. he died in a brutal way, not the most ideal way to go anyway, but that the daughter had to go along with mm-hmm. because of one way or the other. She could have been enjoying it or she was being raped. And in both c- cases, like you dying in this way 
is just heartless. Like, especially from your parents. Yeah, yeah. Um. Anyways, I thought of it as a cool story, like not a cool story, but you know, like it's an interesting story mm-hmm. um, of this yeah. um, double murder there, and, and it was it was infamous, um, obviously because I mean, like scandal you know like the parents are the ones that killed her is just ridiculous um and kudos to india for having crazy people too because here in america we also have terrible killers terrible people it's everywhere i I actually thought i was kind of a i would be pressed to to find some like you know like a true crime that you know, I just assume that India is just a little bit more like just less killy nah, than nah, man. They, they crazy everywhere. Uh, <laughs> everywhere. But I still think, you know, obviously the US takes the cake. I mean, as far as serial killers go and mayhem mm-hmm. and killers, I think the US still leads the world in this. Wouldn't be surprising. Mm-hmm. Um, though there's lots of unreported things that happen. And exactly, all over places like that. Um, if you have any other information, if you like, you live next to them, or like, you know who I'm talking about. Any sp- well, <laughs> who knows? Well, yeah, I mean, yeah. I wanna, I wanna, I want the juice. So, like, oh, I know yeah. the Tawars. They went to my school, you know, or whatever. I'm like, okay. send us Anthony Stars, Twitter Anthony Stars at gmail.com dot Stars dot com and you can get to us um subscribe listen and i want to if you know if you have any extra information i would love to know um yeah this is that you but yeah you haven't done like a murder story in a while so it's interesting like sitting here listening to it i'm like i'm we've been doing like kind of the corporations and whatnot and i was just like people are People are something. It's kind of crazy that I'm like, I just wanted to get back to a good old true crime murder. You know, I, I just couldn't see going down like white people, high corporate crimes anymore. You know, like it's just, uh, it's like so infuriating. And all I wanted was just a normal everyday murder. You know, that is the world we live in. Whereas a true crime aficionado, like I find mm-hmm. solace in, because this is like a, a micro level of yeah, crazy, yeah, yeah. not yeah. the macro out of control. This is the systematic crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like these guys, this family, this father going nuts versus a whole legal yeah. system. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's no, I got you. easier to I swallow. Understand. <laughs> I understand. Um, I do, I do. All right, so I think thanks y'all for listening. Thanks y'all. Thanks y'all. <laughs> yeah, if there's thanks any people live, we're gonna leave you, and we'll definitely be posting this um, soon. YouTube, your favorite uh, podcast. podcast. We're on Apple Music. Wh- where we are, um, I'll tell you right now. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher. And we're on a lot of things. Website directories. Ah, there we go. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Podchaser, Pocket Casts, Deezer, Listen Notes, Player FM, Podcast Index. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, you're also uh, automatically available to Overcast, Castro, Castbox, Podfriend. We're in all of those. And Interesting. Yeah. Find one that find the one that works for you. <laughs> I know one that works for you exactly. Yes, listen to subscribe, rate. Uh, yeah, like if you're on like listen on Apple, we never say that. Like go rate and review rate. Yeah. Um, um, honestly, like please do that. But I also value your just like you know we're gonna put out episodes listen to him sometimes but the listens are yeah are just mm-hmm. as appreciated uh also like so. say something on twitter ants human stars yeah. is that where we are oh my god so noob <laughs> yeah, yeah ants human stars what's our sign off again fight for, it was fight for what you love but you gotta fight for what's right fight, yeah yeah fight for what you love but more importantly fight for what's right 
what's actually right, not what you're lying to yourself to say is right. But you know what? That is that is what what is right is right. Let's not complicate it. What is right is right. And so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's just it is what it is. There's you're like no second guessing yourself is like, is that yeah. right? No, it is right. No, 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 no. it's right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because I just like, yeah, no. That it means what it means. What is right is right. <laughs>